Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Rebecca Brown and I'm a senior associate in the medical negligence team and I will be in the hot seat today. I'm joined by my client, Lindsay Dawson, who had treatment for cervical cancer that left her infertile. She's currently on her surrogacy journey and we included the costs associated with this as part of her legal claim. Welcome, Lindsay. Morning, Rebecca. Thank you very much for having me. We are also joined by consultant gynaecologist and fertility expert, Nick Rainfenning. Hi, Nick. Good morning, Rebecca. Again, thanks very much for uh, having me as well. And finally, we have Tatum DeRock, who works for Shine Cancer Support. Welcome, Tatum. Hi, Rebecca. It's really lovely to be here. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Well, it's lovely to welcome you all to the podcast. So just to get us started, perhaps, Lindsay, you can um, start by telling us about your story from the point of your um, cervical cancer diagnosis. I had had a referral from a smear test that I'd had in November 2017. I'd been seen by the doctor. She did my smear and noticed that oh, something wasn't particularly right. So she made a, a referral for me. Um, I don't think I was meant to see the form at the time, but I did see that on the form it was a, a cancer referral. So I suppose in my head, there was something in my head thinking, hmm, this, this could be bad. But also I'm quite an optimistic person. So I, I didn't initially think that that would be the case. I was referred for a biopsy and the lady there mentioned at the time that she possibly thought it may be polyp. So that was that. Had biopsy, had an MRI. Um, so I sort of went to the final appointment really and what would, would be the final, sort of the first appointment really. Again, quite optimistic. My husband, Kieran, he had um, parents evening that night. So I said to him, I said, don't worry about getting, you know, cover for parents evening. Just go ahead. It'll be fine. Everything's going to be fine. So um, I went went ahead with my mum and dad and, and, and that was it. And that day, like, did change my life forever. I think initially when they first said, you know, it, it, it is cervical cancer, I think everyone's initial thought, and when I've thought about it after, I've thought about, what I actually thought about at the time and I think your natural reaction was am I going to die and I have to admit that wasn't my initial reaction that was definitely my mum's because my mum was you know obviously devastated my mum and dad came with me to that appointment but actually my initial reaction was thinking of cervical cancer thinking hysterectomy and I thought that's my fertility gone and that for me was what hit me hardest. And that's what has hit me the hardest throughout the whole thing, really. And at that point, I'd sort of thought about fertility in the back of my head, but hadn't mentioned it. Obviously, it's, it wasn't the first topic of conversation. So we sort of discussed at the time. I'd had an MRI and my lymph nodes were what she said, hot, which indicated that there could possibly be cancer in the lymph nodes as well. That then meant that she sort of explained to me that it could be a hysterectomy if it wasn't in the lymph nodes. If it was, it would be chemotherapy, radiotherapy, which I'd heard of both, and then a treatment called brachytherapy, which I'd never heard of. And probably if you're not involved in that sort of community or that area of expertise, you probably never heard of. So that was quite scary at first. And then I went for a PET scan, which is like a radioactive scan, which picks up any areas of cancer in the body and that did confirm that I did it had spread to my lymph nodes 
so that then meant that my treatment was going to be chemotherapy radiotherapy brachytherapy uh once she'd gone through that with me she said whatever the case is you are going to be left infertile which for me was you know I think back to it now and it it was absolutely shattering I was due to get married in the August so this was the January I was getting married in the August and children had always been a huge part of my life um I'd always wanted children me and Kieran laugh about this now but one of the first things when we met when I was 19 and I, I did say to him he was 21 and but I did say to him look I want children so if you don't want children then this isn't going to work um and thankfully he did so you know that was that uh but I'd always always wanted children a very maternal person um so it always been something that I had had wanted in my life so to to hear that was was very very difficult and was probably one of the most difficult things that I had to deal with through the whole journey and obviously that's the one thing that I'm still massively dealing with now so she discussed fertility treatment with us and said that we would be able to have egg harvesting um, at the time it would need to happen very quickly so we it was it was a no-brainer for me obviously that was fine so then we had the referral to the fertility clinic closest to us the day after we'd had the referral signed the paperwork and everything the day after my cycle started so then we were able to to proceed very quickly with the fertility treatment it was i believe what a normal ivf process would be injections etc which again i think was probably one of the hardest parts of the whole thing i found IVF extremely difficult I found it very 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 challenging I think obviously with everything else as well that was happening I still didn't know what treatment I was having everything was happening very quickly you know your life was turned upside down so then sort of having within five days of you being told you've got cervical cancer then to start IVF was was very difficult but we went ahead I did have polycystic ovaries which I'd, I'd found out years before but that never really crossed my mind that that may affect anything at the time so we went ahead did the IVF um, and we got an amazing 36 eggs which was was fantastic and we ended up with 25 embryos out of those so that was just such a, a weight off both mine and Kieran's minds that we'd got 25 embryos you know we'd got a massive opportunity to have our own children and we knew at that time that it would be surrogacy obviously I wouldn't be able to to carry that child uh, myself because my womb would be scarred from radiotherapy so we would have to use a surrogate um, so then that was the the thought process behind behind finding a surrogate and that's when that sort of started uh, so that was it then. Um, that part was done. I then went on to have 28 rounds of radiotherapy, uh, which was every day, apart from weekends, for six weeks. Um, and a course of chemotherapy called cisplatin. Um, and I had that once a week for those six weeks. After that point, I then had the brachytherapy. 
which is internal radiotherapy, uh, which I was told at the time was was sort of the treatment that was really going to sort of blast everything away. Um, and I was fortunate enough that one of my really good friends actually did all of my radiotherapy. She happened to be a radiotherapist at the hospital where I was at. So that was incredible to have her there and you know we we are absolute friends for life now <laughs> that's uh that friendship's never going anywhere and um that really did help me having her there and having her there now in future you know now as such a good a good friend is is incredible so yeah and then after that point i had a a scan a few months later to um to double check how the treatment had worked and it was an absolute complete success uh found out in the july that I'd got no cancer cells left and I was completely, completely in the clear at that point, which then got married four weeks later. So um, that was that was really incredible to be able to sort of get married and know that I was all right. And it, it was it was fantastic. I had an incredible amount of support throughout the entire journey from my husband, Kieran, uh, from my mum, my dad my nan my nan was around my house every single day when I got back from treatment just to see me you know and just to to be there and uh, my friends I've just got the most incredible group of friends who were unbelievably supportive through everything and that really did make things a lot easier for me and I think it's so important for someone going through cancer treatment or surrogacy, infertility, IVF, um, that you have got that support network there because that just makes everything so much more manageable for you and sort of helps to get through it. Without them being there, it would have been a very, very dark place to be um, having to go through all of that. Um, but yeah, thankfully. I did have an incredible support network there. Brilliant. Tayson, that might be a good point um, to bring you in to talk a bit about the work that, that Shine do, actually, and the kind of support services that they provide um, to people that have had a cancer diagnosis. Yeah, so listening to your story, Lindsay, you've been through so much and it's it's often what we, what we hear about because we support people in their 20s, 30s and 40s, which is, of course you know, where people are either figuring out their fertility, know what they want, or, you know, or perhaps didn't want, but then it gets taken away, you know, so there can be all kinds of different um, variations. But some of the things that you said, like you use the word um, shattering um, and and long lasting, you know, I think the, the effects of your fertility being impacted um, you know it does take a very particular kind of support because it you know it's it's longer than that couple of months that you might be in chemotherapy you know and it extends out from the medical into your social life and I'm so glad Lindsay that your friends have been great like that is awesome but it can be really challenging when all your friends have kids you know and they're you know maybe complaining about their kids right and you're on the phone with them and you just you know for a lot of people there can be a real distance with their friends around this time 
um, either their friends don't have kids and aren't thinking about it and they're suddenly forced into a position where it's like oh before my treatment I need to preserve my fertility but do I even want this like what what am I doing is this a risk it can be so much in there or you know one after the other your friends are getting pregnant and you know you're I mean I can see Lindsay nodding yes um how challenging that can be and and that thing about it being one of the hardest parts um because it can be really long lasting it is uncertainty on top of uncertainty so you've already got the cancer uncertainty and then you know wading into kind of the area of fertility it's this whole extra level and and even how you're going to be a parent might be different as a result of your cancer treatment and you know how you might be physically different afterwards your energy levels might be different your outlook might be different so um with shine we've got a number of different ways to support people because everyone's again like the the spectrum of what people need is so diverse um so we have um we have peer support which for a lot of people is being around other people who get it and a lot of people that work within shine have had their own diagnosis um and of primary infertility but also secondary infertility which doesn't get talked about as much but if you've had one child but were expecting to have three that was your your plan maybe when you were 19 like Lindsay like yes this is you know actually how how tough that can be as well as you know not getting the opportunity to have your your first child and so because shine is really patient-led um it's made up of patients um you know it's it's there's a number of different programs and support that's really geared um, to be around other people who you can talk freely about this not you know when your friend gets pregnant with twins you know um, on the day you know and you're going to a baby shower you know right after you've had your ovaries removed um, which is what happened to me uh, so um, you know it was just that those days can be so hard to put one foot in front of the other and get through and the other part of the support that we offer is information so we work with some awesome clinicians um, who have you know share um, their knowledge um, and you know sort of where to go to get more information as well and so we actually run uh, fertility sessions um, as part of our program. So we have programs where um, people can come for six weeks and be around other people, get to kind of begin to process some of what they've been through, some of what they're left with, some of what's just happened. Um, and then we have a separate infertility or fertility session where you can go and just talk about that, um, whether or not it's going to happen because some people really don't know. I think that's the other thing. It's like, oh, well, which which support am I supposed to access? Am I infertile? Do I have options? Like, where should I where should I go? So, we we have that as a really inclusive space um, for people just to even begin to process. Um, and then we have podcasts, um, not your grandma's cancer show, um, and I'm on there interviewing some. In Incredible clinicians, um, which have just imparted so much really um, 
thoughtful information. And so we've got a YouTube, um, you know, Shine YouTube of previous conferences uh, where we've had guest speakers on the subjects. We've got podcasts on the subject. So it's a real mix of information base and then being around other people that, you know, understand that, you know, the IVF can, you know, be one of the hardest parts that actually the first thought can be, no, but I was supposed to have my baby. Um, like, you know, the world being really turned upside down and grieving this person that you haven't met yet. And, you know, for some people, the long lasting nature of that is, you know, am I going to get to be a parent? But also, does that mean I'm not going to get to be a grandparent? Right. So like this, the, the, the looking forward can take on huge magnitude. Brilliant. Thanks, Tatum. And Nick, perhaps you could tell us a bit uh, about things from the, the medic's point of view, out from the fertility expert point of view. Um, you know, the process for somebody that's having their fertility preserved after a cancer diagnosis and, and what advice and information there is around the surrogacy process combined with an IVO process after the, the cancer treatment is completed. Yeah, thank you. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite complex, but it's very interesting to hear Lindsay's um, experiences and and uh, very touched by by what you said there after Tatum as well that the support that the support is there it's fantastic and obviously very passionate about that so I'm delighted that a you that, that uh, Lindsay's got people like you and your team to rely on but also that y- your friends and your network that you said Lindsay and what a coincidence that your radiotherapist was uh, a friend amazing um I mean, you said some things there that really resonated with me, just as, as Tata mentioned. I think this this idea, cancer, I mean, is a, I can't even start to imagine how you must have felt at the time. Hey, if you diagnosis and then thereafter your treatment and the IVF. And it's a shame that, that uh, IVF was, you found it so difficult. One of our jobs is to try and make it as easy for you as possible, which I appreciate is uh, easier said than done. Um, but I think this, you said quite quickly after having been told of your diagnosis that fertility seemed to be such an important point and it's it's so stressful that under those situations that you've been told this diagnosis and of course everybody's first thought is you know could it could it could it be terminal could it not recover from it but then obviously considering your fertility at the same time is is so tricky so coming back to your question Rebecca the the first bit is what are your options and you need to be told there are options and sometimes in my experience that doesn't happen people are push forward for treatment. I mean, partly rightly, because we want to get on with with things. Uh, But sometimes I think there's a lack of knowledge amongst some of uh, us in general about what the options are, because most people who don't do IVF don't understand what what the process is. So uh, we at Nurture, my clinic, we we see all the uh, oncology referrals. I don't like that term, but everybody who may need to preserve the fertility as quickly as possible uh, come to us. So we try to see them the same or the next day uh, and then really just talk you through the, the options. So in, obviously there's a range of different scenarios that people find themselves re- requiring IVF. But in your situation, it was your really only option is, is to uh, have a fast cycle of IVF and collect eggs, um, and which is what, what you did. And, and you did. I mean, it went incredibly well. As you said, your response was was fantastic. Interestingly. A lot of people in your situation don't respond well. It's very well described in the literature that even young women with lots of potential eggs 
probably only collect half of what we would anticipate they normally would do and you don't have the opportunity to have a second cycle uh, because you've got to get on with your treatment um so so what we essentially do is we as I said we do a fast cycle of ivf we stimulate the ovaries to grow as many follicles as we safely can there is a limit and you actually went above it lindsay but uh, but recovered well um and then those eggs are collected it takes about 10 days to two weeks it is quick um you mentioned when your cycle started actually we typically now just get on with things if we're doing normal ivf uh, not in your circumstances we we base it on your cycle and your period but we can actually just start treatment pretty much any time so it shouldn't delay people too long i mean a quote a month but we probably can do it within two to three weeks so hopefully that takes away one of the concerns that people have is you know am i going to have to delay my surgery or my chemotherapy my radiotherapy which is a huge consideration um so you inject yourself for roughly two weeks uh we then collect the eggs that's done under conscious sedation so it's a it's a pretty straightforward procedure i have to say um and then from your side you can continue with whatever treatment the the team have lined up for you what we do with those eggs is it's really very it depends on your personal circumstances we can freeze eggs and we do that in the context of cancer treatment but also for women who want to preserve their fertility for other reasons for social reasons and so on so you can freeze eggs that used to be not a very efficient process but actually now it works incredibly well and probably 80 to 90 percent of the eggs we freeze survive when they're thawed out so it really is a, a very effective way to preserve fertility but as i mentioned one of the problems with uh, cancer treatment is you haven't got long you've got to get on with it um, and uh, we can only have one go at doing that if you have a partner and obviously Kieran was was there and you mentioned I had the same conversation with my wife as you did about uh, within a few days of meeting each other definitely want children and we we both agreed with that so I was exactly with with, with you um, so your choice then is to use Kieran's sperm and fertilize those eggs now that means you're committed uh, obviously because once the eggs are fertilized you can't can't go back so that can be a difficult question for some couples if you've only just recently met and you're not sure or you may have different views on things you can't fertilize the eggs because you are committed sometimes we do a split so we freeze half of the eggs and we fertilize the other half but if we're not dealing with big numbers that can limit uh, things as well so a lot of people freeze eggs rather than create embryos the benefit of creating embryos as you did is you've got a better idea of where you stand because as you go through the ivf process and i know you know this very well having looked after you is that not every egg will survive being the thawed if, if we're dealing with frozen eggs not every egg will fertilize not every fertilized egg will then form an embryo and even when it gets to the embryo stage as you did um, embryos take five days to develop until we replace them so we can freeze them when they're two three we don't usually freeze them on the fourth day or five days old so until you get to day five you don't actually know what you have preserved <laughs> you know you've got x number of eggs and in your case you know how many fertilized how many embryos you've got but you don't know how many embryos will make it to the blastocyst stage day five or importantly what their quality will be like and that's another additional stress that you that you have um, until you come to use them occasionally uh, when we do such treatments the chemotherapy or the surgery whatever treatment you have sometimes doesn't render you menopausal or doesn't uh, take away your chance to try again uh, but it, in a lot of cases it does so um, 
so yeah that that's in a nutshell sort of sort of what we do hopefully that sort of makes sense from the from the IVF side of things and just lastly and this is really important that's funded funding in IVF would we'd need a whole podcast just to discuss that and currently what I feel is quite an unfair uh, uh, distribution of, of uh, funding but even if you have children um, you can still be eligible uh, for a fast cycle of IVF prior to any chemotherapy radiotherapy irrespective of your circumstances and that, that's quite unique so it takes away one stress that we have to usually apply for funding but invariably we can we can do that very quickly for you and the response usually comes back from the CCGs go for it when you come to use the eggs or embryos in some cases then you have to self-fund that and I know that obviously was relevant for you so I just mentioned that because some people don't go for this because they're worried about the costs uh, understandably but the first part usually will be covered. Brilliant thanks Nick and Lindsay I know that you've um, since commenced on your surrogacy journey um, and that you had a bit of a decision to make about you know where your surrogate is whether that's in this country or another country so could you tell us a little bit about how you found your surrogate and how that process has gone for you we had initially looked at different options one of the big options for us was a u.s surrogacy obviously the legal aspect in the u.s is far more simple should i say and but our initial concern before we went through this process with yourself, Rebecca, was obviously the cost. We knew that the cost was huge and we knew that only celebrities, really, you'd hear about doing it, you know, um, Kim Kardashian and Tom Daly and, and that sort of thing, you know. So it felt like something that was quite unattainable for us at the time. So on initially, we started looking in the UK um, and we hadn't really even started on that journey and it, it was a friend of mine who we were sort of chatting away and had always had always chatted and I think I've told you this Rebecca it was in the shop where I have my nails done <laughs> um you know you get talking they those girls in those shops know probably more about your life than anyone else um and we got chatting away and you know and Hayley who is our surrogate we'd always chatted about things and and just one day she just happened to say to me she said I've always wanted to be a surrogate which was you know you can imagine the reaction of that <clears throat> um and her mum had had wanted to be a surrogate and had intended to be a surrogate many years ago that didn't didn't happen but so Hayley had always really known about surrogacy which was unusual in the first instance because not a lot of people talk about surrogacy it's never really you know IVF is talked about in your group of friends but you never really go beyond that so to talk to someone about it who knew sort of a little bit about it was was unbelievable and me and Hayley and and Kieran and and her partner Mike and their little girl Evie we sort of have gone on this journey together we got to know each other um we obviously had Covid through it so you know that sort of put a halt on things a little bit but we continued to sort of form you know a relationship and we have got the most incredible relationship now what Hayley has and Mike and Evie have sacrificed for us is absolutely unbelievable beyond words you know this has been quite a long journey for us me and Hayley have been sort of and and, and us uh, me Mika and and her family have been sort of on this journey for a good four years now and you know there have been different things that Hayley's had to go through and 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 us 
as to why it's taken that long but she has had to sacrifice so much in her life um, and you know put her life on hold really because even though our world revolves around this so does hers while we're going through this process uh, so I can never be thankful enough to her really of, of what she's she's doing for us but yeah the, our relationship happened very naturally up until that point we'd looked into organisations which help with surrogacy so surrogacy UK brilliant beginnings and we'd sort of looked into that process before we'd sort of met Hayley so that was the process that we were going to go since then I've obviously found out about independent surrogacy and you know people who uh, family members are surrogates for them um so there are a huge amount of options and I found a lot out actually by listening to podcasts that there's a few really really good good podcasts out there that talk about surrogacy and the ways to be involved in surrogacy um, and understanding it because it is an absolute minefield and I really didn't know the ins and outs of the legal aspect of things and the process in the UK it's not an easy process but there are a lot of support a huge amount of support out there for you know couples who are wanting to go on a surrogacy journey and it's quite an expensive journey as well isn't it Lindsay I mean obviously we were fortunate to be able to recover some some cost of this in your claim you know if you'd been faced with your diagnosis and you know there hadn't been a claim from that is that something you would have been able to find the money for that was my initial worry as it is in 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 most people's circumstances I assume is the funding aspect for it I just thought where on earth are we going to find the money to be able to fund IVF um I didn't have any idea how much this was going to cost and as Nick said you know that the first part of collecting the eggs was was funded for us uh, thankfully which was fantastic because it was another thing that we just didn't have to worry about at that time but then when obviously we went for the egg collection we were told that you know surrogacy isn't funded by the NHS so we would need to find the funds for that ourselves um, and when you look into the costs of surrogacy it is huge and you know, we certainly didn't have that, you know, money just lying around in the bank to be able to, you know, fund it for us. So we thought about remortgaging and and all different scenarios of how we were going to try and find the money to do this. And, you know, it, it was a non-negotiable that we were going to go ahead with this process. It was never in question that, oh, you know what, we can't, we can't, we can't do this you know we were going to find a way whatever was going to happen so thankfully then obviously Rebecca we we found yourselves and were able to recover costs to be able to to do whatever we wanted to do then and to to go on whatever journey we felt was right for us. Brilliant thanks Lindsay. Nick are you able to um, speak a bit about the how surrogacy works sort of from the IVF point of view and what advice clinics have to give and and how they sort of point people in the right direction of finding surrogates and and sort of what the relationship is there? As Lindsay said it's it's complex I'll try and make it as uh, as easy as I can. I mean I think when you 
but you mentioned costs. I'm sure people listening, that's going to be one of the key concerns. And we, we haven't even discussed a figure yet. That's because there is no figure. Um, I can give you quite accurate IVF costs, roughly. The problem with surrogacy is it, it is so variable. But in general terms, um, you could, I mean, people talk about £15,000 for a surrogacy expenses in the UK. But actually, if you add on legal costs and other costs, it's, I mean, it, it does vary, but it's it's going to be higher than that. If we then move overseas, and there are lots of countries that support surrogacy, but I, I think probably the, the only one that really adds significant benefit, talk about this later on about legal parenthood and certainties is is the US. The, the, the cost is increasing dramatically because of inflation, even higher in America than it is in the UK. We're talking probably two hundred and fifty thousand plus uh, US dollars, so it's it's incredibly uh, expensive and and beyond the vast majority of people's um, uh, possibilities, quite quite understandably. Um, so yes, money always comes into this, and as you know, importantly here, Lindsay, you shouldn't have been needing this treatment. Uh, your fertility shouldn't have been affected. So quite rightly, Rebecca and team managed to to get the money for you to be put back into the position you should have been. Although that, that's never going to be entirely replicable. You can't, not possible to 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 do that. Nick, I was just going to say. I mean, it might just be worth touching very briefly on XX um, because that set the legal precedent um, mm. for being able to recover surrogacy costs in the US and the UK um, and of course you were the expert on that case as well do you feel that was a pretty important judgment I, I well I mean this I think it was a fantastic judgment I mean I, I and I the, the message I watched it live when it was um, being reported from the Supreme Court actually where I'm sitting today in my office I thought the words still resonate with me it's just that uh, Lord just hell mentioned that modern families are born in many different ways you know and i think that was so important because up until that point the defendant and the courts really were saying to, to xx that she she could have surrogacy with her own eggs in the uk only but couldn't go abroad and importantly the second part was once those eggs had been utilized and we talked earlier about how limited that can be for some people that that if she needed donor eggs she couldn't have treatment because it wasn't her egg and it wasn't her body. Therefore, she couldn't have treatment. I mean, and that's what was overturned. So her case was um, uh, a claim was denied initially, and then she took it to the High Court and won, and that was challenged and taken to the Supreme Court. And her her um, claim was upheld, which I thought was, was fantastic. Um, obviously, it, a lot of it resonated about being allowed to do surrogacy in the US, but it was clear from the court's perspective there were advantages to that, which I've sort of touched upon upon now. But I also thought that that idea of donor eggs was really important because it, without that judgment, it almost said that, you know, I felt it dismissed egg donation as well, which I thought was really inappropriate. Um, so it was a really important judgment that for lots of reasons, the fertility side and the surrogacy, surrogacy side as well. Um, and it, yeah, it has sort of set the precedent. Um, I think some people, you know, now are still challenging it by saying, well, obviously because the costs were so high. Well, yes, this was awarded to XX, but it doesn't necessarily apply to the next person. You, you know that very well, Rebecca, we've had many cases since. Of course it does, that nothing has changed. Um, and and it's choice, not everybody chooses to to go to America, of course, but it, it, it explains, as I said, the complexities behind it and why, why they may do that. So it's been challenged a lot, but the only challenge I can see really is purely costs because there is no other advantage to surrogacy in, in the UK at all, apart from cost and geographical locations and travel, of course. 
Brilliant. Thanks, Nick. And, you know, it, that judgment was important for Lindsay because it actually opened the door for us to be able to recover um, the costs for the treatment that she's mentioned today. So um, it was a, was a pretty important one for us, Lindsay. One thing I haven't said, Rebecca, that we should mention is, is we talked, Lindsay, you touched upon this about the first part of IVF, creating or collecting eggs and freezing those or creating embryos and freezing those. But the second part is they then need to be obviously thawed and replaced into the surrogate so there's a there's costs for that as well because and that's what that usually you can't reclaim um because it's go because the embryo is going to be transferred to a surrogate so so the current funding says wherever surrogacy is involved we won't we won't be part of that so when you come to freeze thaw your eggs and fertilize them or or thaw what already are fertilized eggs or embryos you have to pay for that part of the process uh which is less than standard IVF, but there's still a, a significant cost. And then you've got to pay for each transfer to the surrogate. And it's usually, sadly, it's not every transfer works. Normally you need two, three, or sometimes four transfers. So those costs need to be considered alongside the, the cost of surrogacy when the treatment is successful and the surrogate is pregnant and, and, and so on. So it's, it's quite complex. And if you then add the legal side costs to it, it gets even more complex. I was actually quite shocked at the cost of the transfer, I thought it was going to be a lot more. So to anyone listening who might be going through this, don't be initially put off thinking, oh my goodness, this is completely unattainable because it is that the costs, that they, they are big costs, you know, that there's, there's no doubt about it, but they're not as astronomical as what I initially thought. So I just wanted to add add that in there for anyone who might be listening who's in a, a similar situation. It's a good point, Lindsay. It's a, in a stat, again, a stat said earlier, you can't give a precise cost as it is. It depends on circumstances because of drugs vary and so on. But r- roughly a, a fresh cycle of IVF to have your eggs collected, which we said would be funded, is is somewhere around £6,000. Uh, but it's, it could easily go up to eight or £9,000 with freezing. When you come to use a frozen embryo, the costs are a lot less. It, it's around two to two and a half thousand pounds. So about a third of, of the costs, as you said. So frozen cycles are always less because you're not going through the process, the, using the expensive drugs to stimulate the ovaries and the egg collection procedure. So yeah, thanks for raising that. Thanks, Tatum. Was there anything you wanted to add on uh, on those topics at all? Yeah, so um, just even hearing Lindsay share that tidbit of this, this was less than I was expecting. Um, and, you know, it's those, that kind of, you know, really lived experience um, that we, you know, that we offer at Shine, right? So through blogs, through stories, through meeting other people, through having a space, because what, you know, I'm really hearing from all of this is on a daily basis is an up and a down, like it's such a roller coaster. And there's so much uncertainty. And what we know is even without that, just, you know, processing life after a cancer diagnosis is a really challenging time for people. And actually it's the end of treatment um, that can be that really tough bit when everyone thinks, oh, you're back to normal now, um, is often when people actually hit a wall and and, and go looking and, and need um, to be around people that understand, but to go from, you know, being launched into a 
surrogacy roller coaster, actually how important it is to have people that understand to, you know, have someone to WhatsApp with the latest update that's like, oh God, yeah, I've been there. Oh, do you know this about that? <laughs> you know, um, have you run across this? Have you seen that there? Um, actually, those connections can be so vital um, to not feel, you know, so alone and to, you know, kind of build that resilience really for going through kind of a really epic um, endeavor. Um, and, you know, just hearing from Lindsay, like just how much um, her child is wanted by her and Kieran and, you know, the willingness to go through this. And, but, you know, actually at every stage that can be, that can be a lot for her and it can be a lot for Kieran as well. And, you know, at Shine, we also offer support for partners too. Um, you know, sometimes we, you know, having been the person in, in a relationship that had cancer, like, I was like, well, you know, I, I didn't necessarily always think, oh, what does my partner need, <laughs> you know, um, but actually, that's a really, really vital part of it that isn't often really thought about in healthcare settings is actually the impact on the other person. Um, and when it comes to, you know, your your fertility, of course, that does really impact both people. Um, so, yeah, having, I just want to say, like, you know, at Shine, there are, like, the podcasts, the blog experiences, and those hearing of um, bits of information that normalizes, um, really, what for a lot of people, you know, they wouldn't necessarily have this knowledge um, from not having gone through it. So, um, so yeah, it's been lovely to, I can relate to so many aspects of your story, um, Lindsay, and it's, it's been amazing to hear you talk about it and, um, you know, and your relationship with, with Kieran. I think the point that you've just made about sort of the forgotten partners in this process, because I do often think, you know, it's sort of, oh, you know, it's all about me and, you know, and, and actually what Kieran has had to go through is unbelievable and he's an extremely strong person extremely strong person very strong-minded but at the time as well within three weeks of each other his mum also found out she'd got breast cancer um so for him to have to deal with his mum having breast yeah. cancer me having cervical cancer and us then losing our ability to have children is unbelievable um and I think knowing that the support out there for partners is incredible because you know it's the typical thing guys don't speak and I don't think he spoke to many people about things at the time I think he his way of dealing with things is to 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 swallow it all down and you know that's his way but that's not everyone's way and to know that there is support out there for those people who may need it it is incredible and I think it's it's really important to remember that you know that there is in in some cases you know like ourselves there is another person involved and you know for us as well as we were just about to get married you know it, it was it was a really 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 tough time but I never nothing was ever in doubt with you know his support to me and 
to everyone else around us he supported my mum my dad you know my friends and yeah he's he's a very special person <laughs> oh he sounds incredible he um, <laughs> it's really really lovely to hear that and yeah I, we definitely um have had people at a 10 plus ones that are like uh my partner made me come uh, <laughs> and they're a bit mm, and then you know they've gotten so much out of it and and really um you know it really helped um because yeah because it, you know often they're the person that's taking on maybe the kind of uh life you know maintenance um often still working and just as you said you know have other commitments to other people in their life as well as their partner and 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 they think there's something about this part of life you know 20s 30s and 40s where more than one thing is often happening you know it isn't about you know people are often you know going for a you know they're in the midst of their career um, they might be going for a promotion and something could be happening to you know members of their family and you know that creation of your own family is you know going on all at the same time so to have people around that can just you know nod knowingly <laughs> you know and and know what to say um or not to say um can make make such difference and you know to have a place sometimes to go with the dark sense of humor that sometimes arises from these situations uh, that horrifies people that haven't been through it <laughs> Um, you know, to know that you can still have, you know, have, uh, you know, friends that you can laugh with as well. Massive. I would definitely say having a sense of humour through the whole thing is something that definitely gets you through is, you know, no part of anything to do with cancer is is funny or, uh, you know, a joke in any way. But actually trying to find the light is something that definitely got me through and you know trying to find that those small lights in that very dark situation um definitely is something that we should all look for if you're going through something similar Brilliant. definitely we just did a conference the other day and um this lady had attended and she was like all week i've been telling my friends i've been going to a cancer conference and they're like Ooh, like that sounds awful, you know. And she was like, "I've literally laughed all day. It's been incredible." And she had like a group of friends that she was already WhatsApping at the end of the day, and she was like, "Wow!" Like, because there's such a relief in being able to be your whole self, and you know, being around people that it's safe to like, oh, I had this scan and this and, you know, this is going on, blah, blah, blah. And like, no one's like horrified, you know, that you're talking about these really big things. Thanks so much, Tatum. So I think that's it for today. So I'd just like to say thank you to Nick, Tatum and Lindsay for sharing their experiences. We hope that you found it insightful. We'll be sharing some details um, of Shine Cancer Support in the links available in the notes to the podcast so that people can find their amazing website and other resources. Um, and if you'd like to find out more about the support we provide for our clients, please visit our website at owenmitchell.com. Thank you for listening to the Owen Mitchell podcast. And if you found it interesting, then join us for our next episode. Stay safe. Thank you.